Blog Talk Radio. have reached your designated destination, and I am your host, Apostle Barber. Now listen, Commissioner Kenya Weathers is at the table, and uh, we want to get right to delivering you the best of the best in everything is political, and this roundtable is in memory of Bishop Ann Evans. And uh, just a dear heart, mentor, friend, and awesome woman of God who passed several years ago on Christmas Eve. And it happened to happen on a Wednesday, Christmas Eve. And the information came to my attention on the very moment that I was getting ready to go live and my guest was her spiritual uh, covering at that particular time, Bishop Willie Bolden, so hats off to him. There will be a gathering of the spiritual roundtable coming soon, so keep your ears open. Now, we're going to cover quite a bit today, so I want you to, you know how we do it, buckle in, but I also want you to contact individuals, share the broadcast. If you are on social media, you can go directly to GMN Live TV, share the link, or comment. Even you are welcome to call in and share your perspective. We're going to be talking about the fleecing of a community. So the lines are open, and this is the 12 noon edition of Everything is Political, S.B. Barber, AM, PM Show. We'll discuss the anniversary of the 2011 tornado, the Minneapolis 2011 tornado. We'll talk about one Minneapolis, accountability, political, financial, and spiritual power. We always go to the fullest extent that we can to make sure that there's clarity and you are engaged. All right, let's go ahead and open the mic for Commissioner Kenya Weathers. Great to have you back at the table. So go ahead and greet everyone and define your responsibilities to our newcomers. Uh, Thank you, Sister Sullivan, for uh, your comments. Um, 
I'm the, uh, one of the commissioners uh, within the city of Minneapolis for Neighborhood Community Engagement Commissioner uh, Commission. Um, I'm the commissioner in the 6th District. I work with uh, several, seven other uh, elected commissioners, and then there are uh, eight uh, at-large appointed commissioners. And our responsibilities are is to advocate advise and deliberate with uh, city council and uh, the mayor. Uh, we're also uh, kind of using twofold. Uh, we are partners with the mayor and the city council when it comes to certain issues that may be very relevant to uh, communicate to our constituents, which are the uh, residents within our districts. And uh, on average, the districts are um, an average of 10 neighborhoods per district. Um, there's uh, 80 neighborhood association organizations in, uh, in total, and there are 70 neighborhood associations. Um, it's been a very interesting ride. I've been a commissioner almost a year now with the city of Minneapolis. There are uh, uh, every year, and uh, there are two-year terms. Um, I'm very troubled as a commissioner. Um, we call it the 30, 90,000 feet level. Uh, 30,000 feet is where all the work is done at the community engagement level that's shaking hands, meeting people, greeting people, uh, meeting people where they're at. And 90,000 feet is carving, designing policies uh, that are going to shape uh, the conversations, uh, the way that we live in the city of Minneapolis. And it's a very important component. Uh, it's a volunteer component, and I've tried to explain this to several people that, especially the black community, they're always looking at the uh, the pay, and it's not so much the pay. It's it's the uh, position uh, of understanding of being able to drive certain conversations uh, for your constituents so that money can, funding can find its way into your districts, into uh, your neighborhoods. And that's how some groups benefit and other groups don't. That comes with intelligence, that comes with education, that comes with engagement. And I will say that our you know, black folks, my people, uh, we struggle. We struggle with that engagement part. We're so disenchanted. Um, no, you know, I, I can't say anything negative about the other cultures. Uh, they have not been through what we have gone through, and so they are uh, highly motivated to be engaged. And so um, not that I'm not concerned about every constituent within my district, because I'm definitely that. I represent every single person. But I'm I'm definitely concerned. I, I pay a little special attention to the most vulnerable population within my district and also being appointed. Uh, I'm not just uh, delegated to my district. I'm, I have um, I have options to move beyond my district uh, to uh, engage throughout the city. And so, with that being said, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the sixth district, which is on the south side, uh, gives me leverage to work with many, including yourself, that uh, either work, uh, live or play in uh, North Minneapolis. And uh, that that North Minneapolis will all be my home. I've spent over 15 years living there. Uh, my my family, we got blown away uh, during the tornado. Uh, I didn't want to come south. 
because all of my friends and family reside in North Minneapolis. But it is what it is, and I am what I am. And God sent me where he wanted me to go. And so I say all that to say that the focus uh, in North Minneapolis has me troubled. Uh, the things that are taking place and transpiring. Um, we spoke earlier, and I was one of the conversations that we've always talked about is we are people of a village, uh, no matter how we spread it out, as it shows you the length of our, of our village. And there's a lot of fleecing. Um, the word fleecing is a transitive uh, verb uh, to remove, fleece from, to dot or cover, but more than anything, a to strip of money or property by fraud or extortion. B, to charge excessively for goods or services. We have that going at multiple levels financially. We have stores that are opening communities that are overcharging, uh, being disrespectful to our people. We have that kind of in fluid motion right now as we speak. There are issues with that uh, up and down Broadway. Uh, There is money that has been given to the redevelopment of Broadway, and it has not found its way. It's found its way in the pockets of those that uh, charge for discharging administrative services for people that live in those communities. Uh, Rather, we also have not-for-profits that are doing the same thing. Um, And the fleecing needs to stop. Um, We have churches that have uh, moved into our communities. Rather, they're a storefront. They pop, I call it a pop-up church. They pop up, gather their money, and then they're gone. They're gone out to Maple Grove, and, and they don't come back. And I'm not talking about uh, some of the leaders that have built their homes out in the, in the suburbs. They do come back. I'm not talking about those individuals. I'm talking about individuals that have built churches, storefronts for years, take the money, and they run off with it. You're not only taking money, but you're taking the spiritual uh, wealth that comes with that. And so we need to shine spotlights on those that are continuing to do that by using every network that we have, rather it's through your show, through our newspapers. We need to identify you and call you out and put pressure politically uh, at the uh, state level and at the city level to no longer give you funding. Uh, this game of 80% in administration, 20% in operation, it has to end. You know, I hear this conversation so many times. Uh, from community, so-called community leaders, I got to eat too. I need some money too. Really? This work is free. I never re- I've never read anywhere where Jesus charged for his services to tend to the poor, the weak. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? And we call ourselves in the word. We're, we're in the spirit. If you don't have another job, to provide for yourself so that you can do this volunteer work, you're in the wrong states. You might want to work, and then whatever time you got left, commit it to the community. But the community is not your food and basket. This is not your job. And if you check, 80 to 90% of these guys out here, rather than crime and safety, we're trying to save the youth, it doesn't matter. You're getting paid. You're eating the skin off of our brothers' backs. We have the mayor has spent, um, she gave $250,000 over to Little Earth, $250,000, and broke that up in North Minneapolis. 
and that went into the pockets of the wrong people, that money should have went directly into the pockets of the children and the youth that we are focusing on. We could have spent, we could have paid each one of those kids $1,600 stipends for subsidized employment. For us, $400, how many kids do you think we could actually pull out of the streets if we gave them $400 every month? And we could create a job, make it up for them, keep them active, keep them busy, keep them empowered, keep them employed, not keeping the poverty pimps employed, not keeping their not-for-profit organizations employed. Madness has to stop, and it's, and it's hurting our safety in our communities. Look, with all the money that is spent, has it stopped the bodies from falling? It looks like to me the bodies are falling quicker, and you have no answer. And this is not the season to play politics with our community. So it's time to expose them. If we are truly people of a village, everybody must be accounted for. And I believe in 100% transparency. All of that deals up under the table and needing special meetings over here. No, everybody sits at the table and everybody eats. Because either you're at the table or you're on the table. So when they have these meetings, and they don't invite everyone, then if you're not invited, then you're on the table. You're the meal. They're trying to figure out how to carve it up. And it needs to end. Transparency, accountability. And until we start that, until we start really holding those accountable, our community will will remain the way it is. Whether it's North Minneapolis or South Minneapolis, the game is the game. We had a conversation recently uh, at our last uh, commission meeting, and uh, we brought up ethics, ethics in government, ethics in government, no cronyism. That's another form of fleecing. I I know you, we cool, I'll give you a couple grand, I'll give you 50, I'll give you 50, but what I need you to do is I need you to vote for me. I need you to make sure that the black population stays with me doing this campaign. I'm not going to name no names, but those know who are in election season right now. And these are the these are the players that, you know, give the perception that the elected official cares. And you don't. What you care about is your reelection. And it's time. Not just to call out the business uh, businessmen that lock our uh, women in, in, in their stores and feel like you can violate them. Uh, we don't care anything about what she stole. If she stole and cleared all the racks off, you should have dialed 911. Shit took a picture. I mean, we would have captured her and arrested her. Wasn't your responsibility to attack her? Now, back in the 60s and the 70s, <laughs> your store wouldn't be standing. It'd be in flames. But we don't live in the 60s and the 70s. We live in, in, in the millennia. And we talk things out. And we have other ways of shutting you down by not one black person spending a dime in your store. Post up, one protester, two protesters, we take shifts. We take shifts in shutting you down and discouraging people from shopping with you. We go store by store. We go church by church. We go not-for-profit by not-for-profit and shut them down. It is time to shut down them down. And I said to you as off mic, 
Those that I have not seen eye to eye with, I am willing to work with you. If you are willing to work with me to shut it down, stop the fleecing. Shut down the fleecing of the people in the city of Minneapolis, and especially in North Minneapolis. Shut it down. Expose them. Work with me. I work with other commissioners that feel that way, that are similar, have similar feelings. And I'm in a position that everyone can know about it and everyone needs to know about it. So use me as your tool. I am a tool to the community. They don't work for me. I work for them. And I do it. Why? Because I care. Because it's needed. I saw uh, 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 Sister Nakima over there. I'm proud of her for what she did, taking that leadership position. But I reach out to her and say, let's go beyond that. Let's shut them down. Let's shut all the rest of those stores down on Broadway. And let's shut those down, shut them down downtown that are fleecy, that have cronyism. Expose them. Some need to go to jail and some need to come out of office. Let's shut them down. And that's what I have to say about fleecing. I know I've taken up a lot, sis. Uh, I'm going to roll it back a little bit because you know I'm a little fiery. So I appreciate this time you've given me to speak. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, What you did was literally lay out the buffet, that which is on the table. And typically we have been referring to everything is political as put it on the table. So this is this is what is being served up, partaken of on the table. So let's do this. Let's go into some of these pieces, not backing up, but rolling forward. As it relates to the anniversary of the Minneapolis tornado that uh, ravaged the north side. And let's talk about that. You were a part of that. I was a part of that and so many others. And, you know, just in this moment, let's say it this way. Rather than a moment of silence, we're going to say it this way. It was by the grace of God our Father in his Son, Jesus, that allowed so many of us to be standing now. And our voices heard. And for so many who lost property, lost valuables, lost memories, and yet were literally abandoned. And that's how we're going to open up that piece. Abandoned as it relates to the call that went out to the community, uh, that they would be allowed to apply for monies, et cetera, et cetera. But so many were turned away and absolutely insulted and uh, really abandoned uh, because either credit or some other things were happening on the table that was benign, they did not know of or were not prepared for 
a suddenly moment does not prepare you, even when FEMA came out and walked the blocks, checking this, that, and the other. You know, when you look back over a situation, you can see the footprints still of the the negligence that played out uh, and how so many were unattended to. Uh, And so much more happened during that time. And then when you look at areas that you know for a fact have still not been rebuilt or uh, aid come to that area. So, Commissioner, go ahead as it relates to just looking at and talking about seeing as we are in the week of the tornado that hit Minneapolis. Go ahead. You know, it, you know, um, Solomon, it, it takes me back, you know, and I'm, I'm quite sure it takes many of us back that uh, I lived at 34th and Fremont. Um, my house was destroyed just as well. I was a renter. I paid $1,000, $1,100 a month for rent, cash, paid all my own utilities. Yeah. I was being pimped out. Um, storm happened, and 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 I, I faced the same thing like many people did. Um, landlords uh, playing hardball, want to still collect the rent, don't want to make the repairs. We had nowhere else to go. We had the people in North Minneapolis. We had nowhere else to go, and millions of dollars, millions, and if I'm correct, I think it's somewhere in the hundreds that was generated for North Minneapolis. And from my understanding, the majority of that money went to homeowners, repairing their decks, repairing their roofs. Renters were left with nothing. Some of the landlords were jiving, let the properties deteriorate so that they could pay a small deductible and remodel their property and resettled us. They resettled us all over the city, all at the suburbs. And basically, that's the reason why North Minneapolis is so weak politically, because you, you washed out the people. It was a great thing for some of the leaders in, in Minneapolis. It broke, up, it broke up the black community. It weakened it even more. And what's so troubling about all of that? It played a major role in it. Do you know that 80% of the money, 80, 80% of the funding that came in went into administration? Let's jive all day, 20% into the people. And we wonder, while we're still recovering, this is still a recovery mode, and it has totally been forgotten, totally. Where are those people that went through that? Has there been a follow-up? Where is the follow-up over that? We already know that there was no oversight with the finances of it, but what about the follow-up? If we do the follow-up to where these people are, what services they receive, we would be able to uncover many of the poverty examples. This has to stop. Me and my family ended up in a, a shotgun apartment, and you could step out the front and step out the back. Urban Homework provided that. I'm thankful. It was clean. Needed some work. Needed some tweaking. 
but it was okay. I'm not going to, you know, toot no horn, but it was okay. They could have done better. You know, everybody has to learn. But other outside of, and, and I have to say that Shiloh Temple did help also. I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Bishop Howe. But I can't say anything about anybody else. You didn't do your job. People can say Shiloh got money. They did their job. They helped me and my family. And if it wasn't for Bishop Howell, I wouldn't be where I'm at today as a commissioner. Because I don't know how my family would have been able to rebuild our foundation. And they gave us the key to get that. Even though people tried to block us out, they fought for us. And that's that's another thing. We had to fight through systemic issues uh, where race and income started to play roles. You know, you know, some of the places you get your rent got to be three times. I just was fortunate that I had my house had three t- had a decent amount of income coming in. It you know of course if you can you can afford eleven hundred dollars for rent, then you're pretty much in a decent position. But I think about those that weren't, they were not in that position. And I see some of them today. Some of them are still homeless. Some of their families are still broken up. And we've gone on to the next day. I'm one of those leaders that I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. But however, to those that may say that the leader, that the black leadership is absent. I'm not. I just don't have much help. If you want to help, you're not going to get it done individually. We only will succeed collectively. I continue to say that. I believe that. Individually, we cannot succeed in nothing in change and upliftment and empowerment of our people but collectively can. There are individuals that don't want their collective have to move them to the side. And you would know who they are because they won't come to the table and sit with all of us. I'm willing to sit with everybody. I've been to many meetings all over the city, all over North Minneapolis, and I see the same thread. I'm not going to work with him. I'm not going to work with him. And you got the other group. There ain't no money in it. I ain't doing it. Go to the side. We don't need you. Like I said, it's time to shut it down. This Monday, this week, reminded me of why I am doing what I'm doing, why I'm a, why, why I'm a community leader, why I'm an activist, why I'm a commissioner, why did I sign up to be a board to make change, to make effective change, concrete change, where you can touch it, where you can feel it, that our leadership, in this auditorium that we're building within our village, it's kind of it's kind of empty. There's a few. I'll say I'll give kudos to uh, uh, Sister Nakima Pounds. She's trying. We don't agree with everything, but however, I think we have the same spirit of making Minneapolis one and making it making equity and inclusiveness for all of us. Let me let me do this. Let me do this because uh, one Minneapolis has been mentioned several times. So for those who are listening in uh, and just chiming in, you have the opportunity to ask questions. Just simply press one uh, or dial back in. Press one, but you should be able to just press one if you would like to make a comment. But let let's touch on this. Uh, first of all, the uh, Minneapolis Foundation uh, indicates on its website that uh, it distributes $5 million to 70 
million in community impact grants to spark transformational change in three strategic areas, education, civic engagement, and economic vitality. Now, the goal, seek to reduce the need for social services by transforming systems and policies to empower more residents to be self-sufficient. Now, if we were to take a poll right now, what would the village say? Let's speak of the black village. What would the black village say? What would other representation, race uh, representations say? Go ahead. Um, I will respond with that with the way I, I interpret that is that we're going to give you the funding to build up your infrastructure, your capacity, so that you will have the ability to be self-reliant. Uh, uh, you'll have that resiliency. You'll have that sustainability, the sustainability that's needed so that you won't have to come back for the pot. You can come back for, to get, get a coat, but don't come back trying to get another pair of shoes. We're going to give you the tools so that you can build your own shoe shop. And, and that's, what's, uh, that's the way I read that uh, with the funding. That's how, I, that's how I define it. Maybe I could be reading that wrong, but that's the way that I interpret that when I hear that. And see, we also are talking about um, proven strategies to improve public education, workforce development, and I could go on. Now, uh, we've talked on the sideline as it relates to uh, what it should look like versus what it is looking like. I had a conversation with an individual, and we were talking about how different Minneapolis North High School looks from the moment you walk in the doors, go in and out of classrooms, take a leap and and, and go through the areas where the technology is evident, uh, what's being used and uh, what's missing, et cetera. Then get in your car and drive to a uh, suburban area and you will see such a difference. So uh, we herald our North High School football team, basketball team, sports program under magnificent leadership uh, from the uh, president of the school and assistant vice principal and the coaches and the directors there. And yet, we know for a fact that there was a tremendous positive turnaround. Uh, they did what they had to do to reach out within the community and pull in the uh, pieces that in the persons uh, that would come and mentor Uh, do whatever was necessary to build up the student body. And so having said all of that, but and, and we have applauded and we're proud of North High School and, you know, we, we speak well of them and we should. But I'm going to give an example. Hold on to this. 
Commissioner, uh, number one, when there was a gathering in celebration of the uh, ending of the, the basketball sports period there. And uh, it was broadcast via Facebook Live. Now, uh, maybe others came later on, but um, fortunately, uh, our faithful uh, photojournalist, uh, you all know him as King Demetrius, he typically stays the course from beginning to end. And uh, he made reference of how sparse, and as I looked, you know, it was just, you know, very small, small, small representation, but we want the T-shirt, we want to wear it to cheer and give the, the, uh, the presence that we had something to do with that. But yet, on the other hand, are the knocks on the doors uh, making uh, available uh, nice finances that would upgrade the technology uh, that those students of excellence and achievement should be using, but yet they aren't. This concerns me as a parent. This concerns me as one engaged in the community. This concerns me as clergy, period. When these are the kinds of things that we have been tasked with and uh, yet when certain when those finances do come through, et cetera, why are those pieces being neglected? Why are they being neglected? And so in sync with looking at, uh, we say, one Minneapolis, uh, all right, I've always made it clear that I look at it from this standpoint, when we have a mayor in place as we do and have, and we'll be looking at the electing of uh, a mayor for the city of Minneapolis, whether uh, Mayor Betsy Hodges remains or a new leadership comes into place. The reality of it all is that when we continue to make reference to uh, kind of, how do we say it, dividing down the line. Sometimes powers want us to do, political powers want us to do that. Yes, we have a uh, an infinity. We have a need and a desire to be that voice and must be that voice of any area that is underserviced, regardless, period. But yet, it is important that the leadership understands that the responsibility encompasses all neighborhoods under the umbrella of Minneapolis. Now, as a commissioner, you can understand what I'm making reference to because we've talked about this as it relates to the almost 90 uh, neighborhoods, and yet, you know, uh, we break that up and we make reference to North Minneapolis, et cetera. So, now, uh, city council persons who are responsible for their wards, et cetera, that's a, that's a different dialogue. And I'm sure at some point when they all come together, then the puzzle fits. But it makes it easier when that individual can give accountability and transparency concerning what they are responsible for and to as a whole. But when you pick off communities and neglect them, 
as far as I see it, whoever has the responsibility of overseeing one Minneapolis has to take heed and respond and hold individuals accountable for what is lacking and what is missing, what's going on here. And regardless to the agreement or disagreement, things have to start happening to build up and benefit that community because it's not about an individual at that point. It's about that community, a community that is a part of the pie, Minneapolis, one Minneapolis. All right, Commissioner, go ahead. Uh, I, I concur with everything that you said, every single thing that you said. And um, me and the other commissioner, we've had this conversation several times. Commissioner Boyd, he's uh, one of the commissioners in um, uh, for this, uh, North, the North, North District. Commissioner, Commissioner, uh-huh. before you, Commissioner, let me say this, but yet understanding when you come to the aid and assistance of a particular group of people, Uh, a race of people, and yet you have the responsibility of the oversight of the entirety, there should be no apologies or sense of feeling as though you're leaving others abandoned because you speak out and be that voice for that particular sector. All right, go ahead. I, I I agree with you, and uh, I've really been working hard to try to move move us all into that one center focus of one Minneapolis. It's not a black Minneapolis, white Minneapolis. You're right. There's not a north side, south side. We were just talking about this offline. Northeast, southeast. There's one Minneapolis. And we have a responsibility to all work together. And this is something I want to add to add jump in here and just kind of throw in here. He's talking about the uh, uh, school system. And what I want to say there to the people is that Know the game, keep the game. If you don't know the game, you can't play it. And knowing how these systems work together and knowing how certain groups of pockets of people are able to galvanize the power, and the powers work through these advisory commissions, through the advisory boards, the commissions, through the city, park board, uh, board of education, and we don't come out. For instance, you can have a board member, a guy or a woman, someone running for a candidate for a board seat uh, on the park board or, you know, any of these uh, different uh, uh, institutions, and uh, we won't come out to vote for them. And other groups come out and vote. So, so when the money comes down, these advisory boards and these commissions kind of, they, they help shape the conversation. They help shape the policy. So by the time the, 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 the cookies come out of the oven, it's already a done deal, and our people are, are in reactive mode. See, we've we got to come out of that reactive mode to be proactive. What's going on? Let's get engaged. When people come and say, hey, sign up, come out here, get engaged. But see, we've been lied to so much. Our communities have been just uh, plundered for so long that people have become disenchanted. And I keep, I keep saying that. Some groups have been motivated because their leadership has not failed them. Their leadership has done what they're supposed to do versus leadership that has not done what they're supposed to do. So people get into that mode of it doesn't make a difference. 
Why should I? I understand that feeling. And it's, it, it's, it's frustrating because now I'm in a leadership position and I'm trying to pull my people in that are suffering the most. If it was a Latino population, if it was a white population, and they were suffering the way that black folks are suffering in Minneapolis, I would be all on it. I'd be all on every every white channel, every radio station, rock and roll country to get the message out for all the people. But we all know black or white, Latino, Muslim, Christian, heterosexual, LGBTQT, we know this population is suffering. The data does not lie. This data sits in front of all of our faces. You talked about North High. One Minneapolis, through the city of Minneapolis, had a one Minneapolis fund. I sat on the committee. I seen all the proposals come in. There was 70-plus proposals that were given to the city. There was approximately 150, somewhere between 130, $150,000 that was sitting in that fund. And it was it was to fund projects that at the core of it was uh, partnership and collaboration. You know, we kind of forcing people to work together. If you're not going to work together, you're not going to get any funding from the city. The city is really trying that. There are individuals that are in city council that want one Minneapolis. They want us all of you, but there are individuals that don't want that. So I'm not going to give everybody that credit, but there are a few that are working behind the scenes trying to make that happen. But however, did notice was that through partnership, Roosevelt High was able to access that funding through neighborhood neighborhood organization. I didn't say neighborhood association, organization, because that was the component that you had to do a collaboration. North High did not even apply. And they could have done the same thing to help some type of youth program. Uh, Most of the grants were anywhere between uh, $10,000 to $20,000. $20,000 could have done quite a bit for a few youth at uh, the school. But talking about the infrastructure, talking about the uh, uh may I may I just uh, let me come here. A lot of times organizations, businesses, communities don't get the information in a timely manner unless that information is released quickly and the expectation is respond quickly so that we can move you forward expeditiously. Those We understand those matters, but in more cases than not, and that's why we are making sure on this platform that the dialogue is inclusive of bringing this kind of information to everyone's attention. And so is it possible that North high school did not know about that. But even if they did and had gotten it, there is still a responsibility upon us if we're going to, uh, you know, if we're going to walk this thing out correctly to still, as you mentioned, there are those scenarios where, you know, parents get together, uh, community members get together and say, you know what, we want to be supportive in some kind of way to North High School, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, let's do this. Uh, let's whatever uh, to get them whatever they need, et cetera. 
But I can't, as a broadcaster, I cannot say that they knew I don't know. And so it'll be good for me to find out and go a little bit closer to them uh, here on the broadcast to find out if they knew of that particular uh, proposal. Let me, so let tell me, us about that once again that. for someone chiming in right yeah. now. Describe that again. It, 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 the funding was through the city. Uh, like I said, it was approximately, I don't have the numbers on top of my head because I don't know that word. Anywhere between 130 and $150,000 $150, was available. Uh, there's approximately 70-plus um, uh, applicants that applied. Um, I sit on the committee, so we do, it dwindled down to 24. And then out of 24, there was only 10 that actually were able to receive the funding. They had, you know, had all the I's dotted, T's crossed. And what I found personally was And when did that take place? When when was it announced and when did it close? Uh the announcement has been out uh at least within the last year. It's been a year because 'cause I've known about it since I've been a commissioner and I've been on a, on the commission for a year. So the, that information has been available over a year. But where I want to take you with that is that, you know, I keep I keep saying about this collective effort. And, 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 and people don't understand that when you pull away and you refuse to sit down at that one table, and this is the difference of those that work over in Roosevelt, that work in the community in that area of Roosevelt High, they have a table. I know many of those individuals. And they sit down and they, they talk and they have these exchanges. And in that exchange, you find out this information. This information is shared. Going back once again, if you won't have, if you won't create one table, or you won't, you refuse to come to one table, you're like a segregated community. I've had this conversation with a commissioner talking about one of my neighborhoods, and I said they're a segregated neighborhood, and he said, yeah. I said, well, the bad, there's a good part if you live in that neighborhood because you're keeping everything out. You know, we're going to keep through this status quo. This is how we like our neighborhood. But the bad, the draw, the draw, drawback to that is you don't let new information come in either. So with that being said, when individuals refuse, and I have had, I have sat in meetings with some individuals that are that work in the internal workings of that high school. I'm not going to name no names, but when you put your personal uh, feelings and emotions and egos ahead of the benefit of those children, then these lapses happen. Because I'm sitting there right across, right across. I don't know what you need. We're we're talking about crime and safety, but you're not talking about this. And in that in that relationship that we have to build, that comes from that one table, that comes from that collective effort. From that would have come that information of, hey, how can I help the school? Hey, how can we work together? Well, you know, I got a program over here. Hey, why don't you apply for the fund? Did you know anything about that? You see, that's the exchanging of information. Exchanging is always is not always about giving you a job or giving you some money for your organization or your business. Sometimes it's simple information that someone has. What's the old saying, sis? Close mouth, what? Never got fed. And so at the end of the day is what I'm talking about, where people are playing politics with our children, with our safety, with our, with our livelihood, and it needs to stop. This is what this whole conversation is about. Uh, 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 everything is political. Everything is political. What is political? Make it very clear. 
very, very simple. Politics only mean one thing, relationships. It's built on relationships. He or she who has the most relationships becomes the most powerful. And that's what people become afraid of. Burn bridges, and certain people don't want to talk to you. Certain people don't want to work with you. And so you find yourself isolated, but you're representing a population of people. So the fights come in because those that hold the power say, we don't want to deal with them anymore. We want to deal with this new group over here. But the old group throws, they assassinate your character, they lie, they end all the lying and the backbiting. I really, I really pray that the leaders that have worked with me, that have worked with you, that have come on this show, that they find it in their heart to say, damn it, enough is enough, shut it down. And we start with our own first. Well, don't worry. You know who you are. We'll get to you. But right now, we've got to clean up our own house. What did Malcolm say? A man that refuses to clean up his house does not deserve to have a house. It should catch on fire and burn down. Okay, to set the record straight for those for our listeners, uh, because I designate this, the clarity is that this is family programming. Most people wouldn't think that way, but we have young people who need to understand politics uh, are going to go into those areas, uh, are disenchanted by it because uh, they don't have the clarity or it is not being embraced and taught properly in their high schools and their middle schools, et cetera. But I will do this, no profanity. Uh, I, I, I mean that very seriously. So, and I know we get real uh, pumped and, and, and we feel this. Trust me, we feel this, uh, but that's not the first time So, uh, for someone coming on the show. So I just need to clarify that. So go ahead, Commissioner. That was a quote, so you got to hold Malcolm Al Shabazz on that one. Um, All right. <laughs> but for censorship, oh, I got you. Uh, but the truth is the truth, and I'm sorry. Uh, it needs to end. It needs to end. And it, it needs to end now. We have to shut it down. Now, we can talk until the cows come home. I don't even know where the cows went. But wherever they went, they're gone for a while and they ain't came back. <laughs> we're talking. We're, we're, we're talking. And so... I'm 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 ready to move beyond the talking stage, and we're, we're, I'm at the sit down stage. I'm at the strategy st- at the strategy stage. What is the strategy? What is the blueprint? I don't have it all because it's not all about me. I'm willing to sit down and take and open my brain up and put it on the table and say, I'll share everything that I have. Are you willing to do that for the betterment of everyone in this city and especially? for the most vulnerable population, which happens to be the black African-American. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at this. Let's, let's cover as much as we possibly can, uh, because I know that many are benefiting. Those of you, you will not be um, left out in any way because you can get this on the podcast. But we do this uh, at noon on Wednesdays for you, and uh, sometimes it might be 9 a.m. or even 5 p.m. as far as that is concerned. Uh, and if it has to be whatever we 
make it happen, uh, but we want you to join us during your lunch hour, you know, have your earbuds on or whatever. But we also, uh, if you're able to slip into a place where you can call in, the lines are open. We want this not to be one way. We do our homework and get a sense of what people are thinking and where they're coming from. And so definitely we include uh, that perspective, but we want to hear you. So the lines are open. And if there was ever a time that I want to sound the alarm, the lines are open. It's up to you. And uh, hats off to our listeners that are outside of these United States uh, and around the country. And uh, we appreciate you and applaud your uh, your. Uh, involvement. We see the streams. We know that you are listening and the numbers are, exa- are are peaking. And so I'm real pleased with that. But we want you to definitely, the lines are open. So never hesitate in uh, making your voice heard, whether you choose to identify yourself or not. All right. As we are talking about, um, you know, looking at how, how would I say this? Um, the accountability and transparency, the accountability and transparency. Um, why is that such a, shall we say, a challenge as well as, uh, you know what, let me cut through the chase because I, I felt the chase right then and there, and I want to cut through it. <laughs> In working as a collaborative, in working in an effort, uh, there are those hard times, hard, hard moments, those awakening moments where uh, the reality is I carried it on my back. So, no, the budget, you want to see the budget that I'm working with? Okay, let me get back to you. Let me go pull out my personal household budget, and I'll show you where the deficit is and what seemed like it was an increase. Okay, that's one way. And sometimes people, you know, that, that's, that's uncomfortable. That's very uncomfortable. Uh, but yet the work is getting done and folks are in the trenches. Boots are on the ground. So, yes, that, we, we want to uh, build and we want to develop and we want to, crime and safety, handle our business. There is no reason why. We should not be able to police our own. Now, I'm going to let that just sit there for a moment because we will close out probably at that heightened level right there. Um, but looking at accountability and transparency, let's talk about that for a moment. Transparency, yeah, transparency, yeah. accountability. People don't want to be transparent. So you know, you know they're shady. You're trying to figure out a word how to sum that up. I'll help you out. It's called thievery. It's called thievery. You know, we all have budgets. We all, we all got our internal budgets domestically. That has absolutely nothing to do with the community. They can shake it up, spin it around all they want. Still, at the end of the day, hey, this is free when it comes to the community. It always have been. You move, you leave here and go somewhere like New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, you'll see people out here doing the same work for free. 
because they care. And so when you start putting money behind these efforts, it makes me look at intent. Your intent changes. Your intent goes from passion, love, because I care, because I'm a stakeholder, I live in this city, I live in this community, live in this neighborhood, to, hey, this is a job, I can get paid off this. And that and that and that's and that's that I mean that your survival is But based that's off only of, one mindset. Let let's let's make that very clear because we want to make sure that our listeners understand we value you. And there are those who can handle we know how to handle that budget. That's not a problem whatsoever whether it's in a lack or a surplus, and it's going to be dealt with in integrity and the books are open, not a problem whatsoever. But we titled, This is Fleecing of a Community. We're covering some areas here. We're covering some areas. Um, So thereby, uh, it means that folks have to look at themselves and, and look at what are you really doing here? If you just wanted a job, if you just wanted a job, then that's one thing. Then you should have gone someplace else, possibly. Uh, but on the other hand, the job has to be done with or without. And yes, for the sake of things, um, well, the reality of it all, we are not saying everyone is a thief or everyone is a liar or everyone refuses to collaborate or everyone is choosing to literally drive around the area in question, whatever that area is or whatever the subject matter is, refuse to come to the table because of whatever their reasons might be. But there are those that are saying enough is enough. We need to be at the table. We need to work together. And even if we're not working on the same project, when the alarm sounds, we must be somewhere in place and ready to collectively respond to a matter. Does that make sense? collectively respond to a matter, even though you're not necessarily collectively working on a particular project. But what is the response as a one Minneapolis? All right, go ahead. Uh, You know what? I concur with that. And I'll just say this. If the shoe fit, wear it. Those that know what they're doing, is supposed to be, you know, and taking care of their business. If you're taking care of your business, I'm not talking about you. But if you ain't taking care of your business, that's your shoe sitting at that doorway on your exit. And we're coming at you. And I'm using every bit of influence I have from state to uh, city council to neighborhood to put that pressure on you. The neighborhood will know about you. You will be exposed. The clock is ticking. Like I said, it's enough. Shut it down. All right. Coming your All way. right. So let's let, let's go right to financial, spiritual. We've already dealt with political, but financial and spiritual power. And we know for a fact that let's go ahead and open that dialogue because we want to reposition. Sometimes we need to reset. 
Mm. Refocus. And mm-hmm. please don't let me forget. Repent. Refocus. Mm. Reset. <laughs> and repent. Repent. <laughs> repent. All right. Um, what was that? R R. Was that the three R's? The three R's. They used to say, what was that? Reading, writing, arithmetic. <laughs> As I said, we grew up a little bit, again? got a little sophisticated and called it math. What is it? Um, mathematics. But there was but that like time said, where the three R's were re- <laughs> reading, writing, and arithmetic. And how did writing get in there with an R? But that's all right. That's, a, that's another thing. <laughs> Because they go together. If, if you know arithmetic <laughs> and you can't write, you still know language and vice versa. It's a language. Yes, That's yes, all math is. Yes. It's a language. Um, yes. but, but you know, like you said, let, let's let's move to let's move over to financial. We, we you know we're, we're talking about why there is. I, I had a gentleman contact me a couple of days ago, and he said, Kenya, did you know that there are only two black or African descent individuals that were able to obtain vending licenses for the Super Bowl. I said, are you sure about that? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to check into it. I'm still in the process of checking into it. But that, those are the, these are the conversations and, and, and hearsay that we're hearing about. It's probably true uh, because a lot of the times uh, I remember when they opened up the, uh, uh, the Twin Stadium, uh, many people didn't have their paperwork together. But what I learned at the city level is with proposals, that the black community and communities of color and dis and the disenfranchised community, they they lack the technical capacity to actually do the paperwork, put it together. They lack that. And there these organizations and businesses will continue to struggle if they don't have a component that funding can be funneled, small loans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh this is going back to the conversation you and I had prior about the black business commerce. Um People don't understand that that is your hub of philanthropists. That is your hub of generation, generating funds through uh, federal grants, government, city, county, state. And that sits empty. We have talked about that. From what my knowledge of it is that there was a uh, young lady there was trying. This is from what I understand of it. She was trying to get it up and running. And are we lacked, talking about, hold, hold on a moment, but aren't, aren't we talking about, you were making reference to, it was noted that uh, for the stadium, there were only two black black individuals, or you have you want to say that, uh, that received vendor license. Okay, let, let's conclude that. And what I was saying about that is that, from, from my knowledge, that, probably is true. I, I haven't got the definite answer on that. That's still out and we're going to have to come back. Uh, but I know from uh, from previous uh, what the problem was uh, as far as um, black folks accessing, you know, accessing that, you know, type of venue uh, that their paperwork wasn't together. They either didn't dot their I's or didn't have, you know, they didn't have the proper language in there. And I saw that same setup uh, as a commissioner when I was looking at proposals. And, and we've talked about that at the commission level of uh, putting together the capacity. You know, for instance, uh, we've had, we're having conversation right now of having a one-time shot uh, within the city of Minneapolis doing a webinar, uh, a grant writing webinar. 
the grant writing is the key part of how you access funding or how you write a proposal if you want to send it. It helps you learn how to use the proper language so that you can access it. That's that's all technical capacity, and that's lacking. Many people do know that, uh, that look like us, that walk like us and talk like us. However, they use those as keys of power to maintain their financial wealth, to maintain their status within our communities. And I'm trying to I'm trying to put a black guy in the game because I figure that if, if everyone has access to the same game, the same set of tools, then they can all work individually and now they can start to hold others accountable because now you know how this game goes. You know how a grant is supposed to be written. You know if a grant wasn't written the proper way and it still got it passed through. So building up that financial capacity, I think that at the center of that is at the Black Chamber of Commerce. Because that's where we're going to generate our money. That's where we'll be able to build, be able to build up our black businesses, rather than in North Minneapolis and South Minneapolis. But in our communities, now we have access to small funding where these grants, these federal grant money, flows down into these chambers, rather it's the Asian uh, Chamber of Commerce, you know, Latino Chamber of Commerce. In those Chamber of Commerce is right. where you where you get your small interest loans at to build up your business. And if you don't have that, if that component is not there, then you're going to see exactly what you're seeing, other groups of people buying up your properties, building up their stores, because they're tapping into their commerce. All right, so how should, let's give the, let's lay this out. How should community look at commission appointments, commissioners, et cetera, whatever. Uh, look, at, look at that representation of our government in a voice of a person. How should community, remember, re, <laughs> review, you know what, rewind, restart, and of course, repent. Where's repentance coming? You'll, you already know. But you know, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, but be honest with oneself is where repentance begins. One's self. So that's anyway, the first step. That's the first step. So how should community look at being engaged or engaging our uh, persons who sit in? The, uh, the seat as senator, legislator, representative, commissioners, uh, city council, uh, even the mayor's office. Uh, you know, let's talk about that for a moment. Well, asking them the tough questions. The, you first have to understand is that they're, they're servants of you. And so you have to ask questions and look at their policies. How, do it, how does that affect your family directly? Not across the street. How does it affect my family directly and right now? And looking at the decisions that you're making, when you see the mayor make a decision, you see one of the commissioners make a decision or or city council have passed, how does that affect me directly? Now, this is another conversation that's going on. You know, if you don't know, you don't know. If I knew what I knew now, if I knew what I knew now that I didn't know then, I would, I, I could do better. But now that I know what I didn't know then, I do better. So with that being said, you have to educate people. And I think that as leader, as one of the leaders, that we have to build up that capacity, the civic engagement capacity to 
to educate our people into how these systems work together and how they shape and form how you live every single day. Every one of these commissions and advisories play a role in helping galvanize the vision for city council and the mayor. This it, it starts there. It starts in your advisories. It starts in your commissions, and then it works its way up to the city, to the city council and to the mayor, and they say, well, this is what the city wants. Now, they can argue left or right, you know, whether they want to vote it up or down, but this is what they're working with, and this is where their information comes from, from the advisory commission to the advisory boards, from the commission. So when we don't get involved in that, then we become feast. You know, I always say either you're at the table or you're on the table. So we have to make some personal decisions. Do we want to continue to be feast on the table? Do we always want to be the one taking out the trash in the end? So I think part of it is, uh, a major part of it is that people don't know, they're unaware. And another part of it is to understand those that do or are engaged in it, they still don't understand it. You don't understand the policy. You need certain people like uh, myself, uh, uh, the sister that you had brought in there a while back, uh, uh, Brother Ellison, uh, Brother Hayden, we know how these how this works. We know how these systems go together. We have to come together. And I, I, years ago, Keith had asked me uh, to do something like that, of putting a civic engagement so that we could have our communities uh, educated. Not so much on the technical part. We have to be able to teach you that. Even when you understand the technical part, do you know how to apply these pieces? Do you know how they work together? And I think we're lacking it. So in two components, we're lacking that uh, uh, Black Business Chamber of Commerce, which sits there empty, and we're lacking the civic engagement part of it, which is how to policies and how to draw policies, how to agree, uh, how do these procedures come together and these motions come together to get these different uh, issues out of these committees and how they formulate and roll out into the city and how they affect you directly. That's a lot of education. That's a lot of engagement. It is there, and that's why you continue to hear me say we have to build, not as as one black man to a black woman, but as from one human to another human, from one resident to another that lives in the city of Minneapolis, that if we want our city to be what it has the potential to be, one of the most beautiful cities in the United States and a model for others, we have to come to the table with each other first because we're at the bottom of the ladder. Once we come to that, we can come to some agreement on our blueprint, on our strategic plan, how we want to move forward. Then we can start to interact with other groups and do collaborations and partnerships. But until we get our stuff together, until we get our house in order, we can't focus on the neighbors across the street. All right, and then, you know, as we as we look at this spiritually, uh, we have to have a very keen eye in understanding that even spiritually, you know, we have one Heavenly Father. Folks can agree, disagree. That's not what this is about. I'm coming from the platform that I oversee, the platform that was given to me spiritually as um, – how to move out and what to accomplish and what to build this structure. And we need to be able to, at any given time, respond to the people, respond to the people and bring some clarity, 
Know them that labor amongst you, even if you can't bring that clarity. Make sure that you have folks around you that as best as you know their hands are clean, that they can bring a word in season of clarity. And as clergy, understand that far too long we have been behind a cloak where, uh, you know, it's almost as though you finally got the applause for whatever was going on uh, in that parish, in that mosque, in that sanctuary, wherever that might be, or in that storefront. And so you don't want to lose that. So you don't want anyone to know that you don't have this ability, uh, that insight or whatever the case might be. But you harm yourself when you stay hidden. So that's what I mean by reset and get in sync with what you have been ordained to do and understand that clearly and know it by the Spirit because no matter what, whoever comes to the table with you, if it spiritually does not line up and you know that there is strong conviction for you not to go that direction, just for the sake of getting the uh, the recognition, getting the accolades, or even getting that money. Only you can answer, and you will answer. You will answer. And when it comes to crime and safety, and I'm, I'm putting these pieces together because spiritually as a watchman on the wall, there are things that – will be revealed and exposed. And those of us who are in this capacity will acknowledge that. And there comes a time when that warning comes first and then exposure comes and the fall hits. And so beware of what and how you are handling the people, period. The people didn't fall out the sky. We didn't just wake up and, listen, there was an osmosis and we are alive. No, we were created in the womb. Listen, you've got to be very careful and walk very softly because there are some very demonic, treacherous dealings that are happening behind closed doors, let alone under the table, but right in the sanctuaries, God forbid. And that kind of devastation and what is happening when you, we can talk about this all day long about, you know, um, the components and uh, what we need to accomplish as one city and, and all of these kinds of things. But it comes to a point where you better recognize when demonic influences are at play. So I'm saying we have to also be careful of what we say and what we put on people with our mouths because we don't want that, we don't understand that individual or we don't want to play with that individual or we want all the glory. And sometimes it's that, it's, it's that 
pride and envy that gets in the way when it's time to come to the table. So what you've been out in the trenches and you've been doing this, that, and the other, but then now there's a clarion calling. We need to come to come to the table. And yeah, it's it, it, and no, it doesn't feel good when you know you've worked very, very hard and and uh, et cetera. And you know, people want need your insight and your wisdom. And you know, when you've been burnt and and all these kinds of things. Well, the first repentance comes with thine own self. You know what, Father? It was you that gave me this, the vision, the insight no matter how hard it was, no matter how I had to crawl, no matter what the turbulence was, win or lose, even standing alone or standing apart. It doesn't feel good. Repentance is cleansing. But old school mama and papa, big mama, (laughs) big papa, and today me, (laughs) ask my children, do they know what it is to be chastised? Do they know what it is, what a switch feels like? What a, oh, wow. See, some folks get really uncomfortable. Really? Really? I can't believe it. Come on. You know what? But you better wake up and understand that if you don't, take care of your household, and raise your children with some sense of honesty, integrity, and accountability. I know some folks that were raised in a terrible way. I've heard their testimonies. They didn't have all of that surrounding them, you know, but yet, they have arisen up out of the ashes of all of that by the grace of God, and their children are going off to college and doing things that, oh, my goodness, they wanted to see happen for their children. But I'm sure if you ask those children what was it like, you know, they didn't like having to study late and miss out on, you know, all of what was happening and this, that, and the other. So I could go on and on, but let's get back to God's house because all of this is his house. I think you all have forgotten that this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. He swears by no one. He is mm-hmm. God, the creator. So I didn't ask you to agree. This is the platform that I've been given. And so bringing clarity to let me settle myself and understand that when it's all said and done, we must answer to our creator and you're going to give an account. So whatever your deeds are that are being done in darkness and you think you're getting away with it and you're getting pats on the back because nobody knows that you're really doing it or you're running with some folks at very high levels that are giving you pats on the back and, uh, you know, because you got the deal, et cetera, and yet they know for a fact you're not in order and your word is not your bond. And your conscience is not what's leading you. Your corrupted behavior is what is in charge. You simply back up and say, God, my Father, my Creator, hear my hands. 
I repent. I repent. I have no excuse. It's me, Father, standing before you. And here are my hands. I didn't even have to show them to you. You already knew. You know every hair on my head. And so that's where we are right now. We don't want to police a community. We don't want to be a part of fleecing of a community. We have prime opportunity. Even with everything is political, to do it the right way. And so we're going to come to a place of closing. And so, uh, Commissioner Kenya Weathers, go ahead and uh, what uh, your thought might be as it relates to literally winding this up, but yet we will not uh, leave any pieces unchallenged, uh, un explained or, uh, again, platforms for individuals to come to the table and uh, share uh, whatever they need to as it relates to our subject matter today, the fleecing of the community. But we always leave it on this high note. Yes, it, there is power in repentance. Oh, my Glory, yes, Father, there is power in repentance. There is power in repentance. So you're simply exercising the authority, the effective authority that will get you through the door, that will keep you when the door is closed, that will keep you when words are spoken against you and you know for a fact that was not you, but it will sustain you. So don't be afraid to act upon it. And maybe this is fresh right now. This might be the freshest thing <laughs> that could have hit you today because you're caring a lot. Folks that are in politics hold you up and we bless you because I know that this is significant, even what I'm saying right now. Sometimes you walk away and shake your head and say, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that I agreed to that instead of saying no. But we encourage your hearts today, right? You get that a lot? <laughs> you get that a lot, I hear you, I hear you. You, you, that was. Come a little bit closer like, to your mic. Come a little closer to your mic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As you were saying, what, 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 what you said was like someone rubbing my shoulders, mm-hmm. and I understand what it feels like. What I'm trying to say to my people is this: you don't have to suffer in silence anymore. Stop. We suffer in silence, and, and I'm moving back. Let me take off my commissioner hat and sit that over there, speaking as Kenya Weathers, as a black man in the city of Minneapolis. My people are suffering in silence. We dress up. We buy over. We buy cars that we can't afford to make ourselves feel better. We buy furniture and clothes and hair and nails and jewelry. 
and we don't need because we want people to feel and people to have the have the optics, the perspective, uh, the uh, the uh, the view, the vision that we are doing well, and we're not. Some of us, the majority of us, are either poor or one check from being poor, and and we're suffering in silence because we're not demanding what we need. If you are a commissioner or a director somewhere or a senator or a congressman or state rep or in a, in a DFL or Republican Party, you suffer in silence. The, what I mean by suffering in silence, you know things are not right. You just said that. You know things are not right. But but the minute that you speak up, and this is, this is the issue, the minute that we speak up, even let our minds formulate a thought of speaking up for the most vulnerable population, for our own people, of black folks, you become a pariah, a troublemaker. Let's get rid of them. Or you're in fear of uh, of losing a great relationship with, with the other side, uh, not being in favoritism. The majority of the people that are black that are in these key positions, this is what they live through. I happen to be in a position that that gives me a little freedom because I don't, I don't, you ain't hired me, so you can't fire me. And I'm not, I'm not in, into parties. So I'm kind of like the hot gun, but I'm able to see it all. And I'm able to speak out for those that speak out for those that suffer in silence. And so my message to them is I'm here. Use me. Use my mind. You don't have to help me on the front end. I understand how it works. Yeah, I understand that. I don't want you to lose that that connectivity that you have. But you can help on the back end. And that's the reason why I'm pounding the table. And I've kind of backed up calling people out. I don't like to do that. But if you're not going to help on the front end, meaning expose your hand, work on the back end. You can help on the back end. Now take the initiative and reach out and, and call Sister Stalin up and say, how can I help? I can't expose myself, but I can help you on the back end. So I ask God to continue to give me the strength and continue to motivate me. And, yes, I cried many days in pain and anguish of the suffrage of my people. Even though he has blessed me and given me everything I need, everything I need, I have everything I need. But that's, that does not stop my heart from longing for those that don't have. I was not raised that way. It's not a great day when I'm eating shrimp and steak in my house and watching LeBron James dunk the ball and I know that there are people out there homeless, when I know that people get thrown out their homes. And I know that I'm in a position to help and make real systemic change, real concrete, real-time change where you can taste it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. This is what we want. And we're at a point where either we negotiate this properly as leaders or our youth is not going to be patient. You can see them bubbling. Only a blind man can see that. And these are our babies. And this system is ready to smash them, to grab them. It has to stop. It's my, it falls on my watch. I, I like to take a page out your book, and if you don't mind, I like to copy that. I like to CC. I'm also known as the watchman. Can I can I borrow that as the watchman also? Sister Absolutely. Stalin? 
Absolutely. And you are correct concerning. Yes, let let us definitely do that. So, you know, we're going to go ahead and uh, shift and allow folks to absorb this. And as one of my commentators on the business of Monday Money Talk and the Black Money Team, uh, Miss Lydia Iniosa, hats off to her. Uh, she's of the uh, cultural connection out of St. Paul. But she says it this way, Monday is one of the best days of the week for her now that she's been involved with this platform, SB Barber Morning Show, AM, PM edition, simply because uh, she says it this way. She's able to take notes, glean from it, go back to it, hear the podcast again, take notes again. And I say to you, take advantage of this while it's in place. And uh, let's build up. Let's build up. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? And I'm going to leave you with, uh, you know, Commissioner, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, your voice as usual, but let, let's just take a moment and deviate, and it's just simply, this is a indie recording artist. Her name is Tanisha Toussaint, and it's simply titled, Oh, Lord, and if there was ever a time, <laughs> this city, this Perfect. state, Perfect. those that are in politics, those that are in the trenches, boots on the ground, no matter how high you sit up, you're going to have to be accountable for all of it. Trust me on that. And our young people need this as never before. They need our example. They need us. So on this note, and I've got to go, Tanisha Toussaint, oh, Lord. 